0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to Kids Under Construction. I'm Donna Tatro. Today, we are talking about mental health and well-being for parents, kids, and families as we manage this holiday season. I am so excited to have Dr. Stephanie A. Lee from the Child Mind Institute. Dr. Lee is the senior director of the ADHD and Behavior Disorder Center at the Child Mind Institute. She has extensive experience working with children, adolescents, and young adults across home school and community settings thank you so much for being on kids under
1: construction dr lee absolutely donna thank you so much for having me
0: so let's start with uh, where families are right now this year has been unlike any other
1: what have you seen and how are families coping It's a really great question, Donna. This is a very challenging time for everyone. And I think that, you know, my role as a therapist and working with these families has been to really validate and empathize and and to really do my best to kind of make sure that parents know that they're not alone in this and that many parents are experiencing a lot of frustrations and doing their best to kind of wear a lot of different hats and to manage a lot of uh, uh, a lot of lack of predictability and, 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 and unknowns. And so I think that a lot of parents are trying to deal with their own stress in addition to kind of managing their children's stress and trying to kind of also make sure that they're still having a pleasant holiday season. And and so those things, I think, you know, juggling all of those things at once uh, can be really hard for parents. So I give them a lot of credit and I'm we're doing our best in child mind to try to provide resources and supports that we can, you know, that target these areas
0: can you talk a little bit about dealing with the unknown and and how you help people deal with what they can um, do and what
1: they do know um, talk a little bit to that absolutely done so what you know we ab- we know that it's unpredictable and dealing with the unknown is really challenging. There's going to be a lot of related anxiety. And when we're managing anxiety in kids and honestly within ourselves, um, we wanna use the two E's. And I I stole these two E's from Philip Kendall's Coping Cat, which is an evidence-based treatment for young kids with anxiety, um, where we wanna provide empathy and encouragement and you'll notice Donna that I used an and in the middle rather than a but because it is important to provide both of these things Um, when we're dealing with the unknown we want to provide information about what we do know and provide empathy about the fact that it's hard not to have all the details normalize that praise your kid when they're able to share their feelings about those things praise yourself when you're able to name your feelings in relation to those things and then you want to move into encouragement which is where you remind yourself that you've tra- you've managed challenging things in the past and you remind your kids that you can navigate whatever's coming next uh, together. And you've done those things successfully in the past. Can you kind of give us
0: a hypothetical and walk through something that maybe a family, a parent and a child might be going through and then how you implement the empathy and um,
1: um, that strategy? Sure, Donna, absolutely. So I can kind of think a little bit about a session that I've had just a little bit earlier today where, um, you know, I'm working with a teenager who is really struggling um, with anxiety and not knowing what's coming next, not knowing what family members may or may not be able to be in attendance for the holiday season, and then also not knowing if they're going to actually physically be in school come the first of the year or if it will be hybrid again and, and really, you know, a, a lack of, of, of information about what's coming, right? And so. We worked with not just the teenager, but with that teenager's parents to talk to work through those things I just said, right? Where we provide empathy and we really do kind of validate like this sucks, it sucks that we don't know. You're absolutely right. It's so much easier when we know and we can plan ahead. And just sitting in that feeling and that emotion and validating it, right? Not trying to move forward, just saying it, right? Then additionally, we wanna kind of move into the encouragement part and remind that teenager, i'm here for you i'm a valuable resource and support regardless of whether it's hybrid regardless of whether you're in person i'm here and i'm available and i'm gonna help you through it so that's
0: interesting to me so you've got the empathy and the encouragement when can you get the child to then move past it or do we not push to move past
1: yeah you know donna i think that what we want to try to do in that situation is that we want to make sure that we are teaching kids about how long and how intense some of these concerns are and helping them to keep them in perspective. So I think we don't wanna tell kids or teenagers the intensity of their feelings. And yet at the same time, we wanna make sure that we are helping them to, like I said, discern and, and you know, decide. I think that we wanna make sure kids also understand that worry and anticipatory anxiety it is natural and it's a wasted emotion. So once you've had this discussion with your teenager, once you feel like you've given them a valid amount of time to kind of sit in these feelings, then it is about activating them and thinking about some things that we can do to distract ourselves and move on and not sit in things that we don't really have any control over, right? Honestly, in certain situations we might even recommend what we call worry time, right? So it's a certain amount of time each day, you let yourself worry, and then any any time outside of that worry time, you're trying to move on and you're trying to discourage those, those anxiety thoughts or that rumination, right? So I think giving kids and teenagers strategies that are functional, that are also gonna help them to move on and, and still enjoy their day to day if they can, that's what we're going for. And how does a parent
0: know when the worry time is more than should be expected. How can a parent discern, oh boy, I think my team needs more.
1: Yeah, you know, Donna, what we know is that, like, you know, realistically, I can worry for five minutes tonight, I can worry for an hour tonight that, you know, something is going to happen this weekend, and the amount of time that I worry about it is not going to actually change the event. And yet, at the same time, we do want to make sure that we're not invalidating or making a kid or a teenager feel like their feeling isn't isn't relevant, right? So I think it is a balance, and at the same time, I think it's making sure that parents also have alternative things for their kid and team to engage in, right? So it's a lot easier to change the channel in your brain, distract yourself, get involved in something else, if you have options, right? If you're just telling your teenager or kid, move on, do something else, but you don't actually have alternative ideas, that's different than saying, hey, why don't you help me make dinner or, Hey, it's taco Tuesday. I really could use some help, um, you know, getting the plates out, uh, for the dinner table. Right. So I think, or, you know, sitting down and playing some Legos and seeing if they can join you, um, in one of their favorite activities. So I think it's not just about, um, kind of telling them to not use that space, but also providing them alternative ideas and activities and ways to, 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 to move on.
0: Um, that's really great advice. Can you talk a little bit about how parents can model this behavior, um, for their children to kind of encourage their kids into this more positive mindset when they are so worried or anxious? What can parents, how can they model this without kind of telling kids like you gave those examples?
1: How can a parent go around the house and model this? You know, Donna, it's a really challenging thing. And I think that parents want to make sure that they are modeling good behaviors and also being kind to themselves and understanding that every single moment of their day, they will not be the most appropriate role model, but that if they're trending in the right direction, that's what we're really going for. But I think that the ways that parents can model some of these things, first and foremost, is just to get a little bit more meta. I think parents do a good job of putting out there to their kids you know, problem solving and things like that when it's in specific situations, but they might not be very meta, you know, just kind of talking about their day to day and how they work through the uncertainty. And so just kind of being a little bit more open, creating a dialogue about maybe the, the winds of the day and also the thorns of the day, right? Like the petals of the day, the roses of the day and the thorns of the day, just to make sure that your child does understand that you're not just, you know, dealing all day with positive stuff, that you're coming in contact with negative stuff, but that you're turning it positive or that you're doing what you can with it. I think we also wanna make sure that parents are doing a great job modeling self-care. So as silly as that sounds, and as as difficult as that might be for parents, given all of the other things that they need to be doing these days, honestly, taking a moment to yourself and highlighting that moment to your kid in some way can be really valuable because we talk a lot about self-care, but it's something I think that is, hard for parents to actually put in motion and realistically not just modeling the self-care is healthy, but also taking that moment for your own self-care um, can get you, you know, can can lead to exponential results.
0: Um, that's really interesting because I actually just wrote a picture book for children called Dear Me, and it's, it's really how to teach children self-love and self-compassion. And when I think about self-care for adults, I feel like that's, Kind of showing ourselves self love, and as a mom to two boys, eleven and twelve years old, there's a lot of times where I don't show Donna self love and self care, and and I don't know why it is so difficult. If it's like this cultural thing um, that parents have to feel like they're just you know these superpower people that you know can just kind of go through anything, why is that so deep, deeply rooted
1: in our culture? You know, Donna, that's, it's really powerful. And that's, you know, hitting home for me in a lot of different ways, I'll be honest. And I, joke with families a line that, um, you know, I, I, my, my mother taught special ed for 30 years. And I always say that she was the most amazing role model in every single way, but one, right? She would, that was the only thing I think in my life that maybe she had neglected to model for me and in, in a really appropriate way. And I think that there are some gender biases in there and there are some cultural biases. And I, I think, you know, those things are, you know, precede COVID and will probably continue after COVID. But I think, being really mindful of the way that your child is not just listening to what you say, but paying attention to what you do can be really valuable. And I think that parents are often primed to share with their kids what they think is most relevant in the moment, I would like to think that COVID is a really unique opportunity for us to bring self-care and that need to the forefront. And so, you know, this is again, a unique time, unprecedented situation, but hopefully one that we can kind of take advantage of and to, as you said, show that self-love. Another thing, Donna, that parents don't always do very well in relation to that self-love and self-care aspect is acknowledging compliments and acknowledging compliments by saying thank you, not discounting it. Yes, I have so many parents that are immediately wanting to tell on themselves the minute they get on the screen with me. Oh, Dr. Lee, I didn't do this thing today. I didn't finish the chart. I did it, you know. And I ask them immediately, what are all the things you did do well today? Because I know there has to be a hundred. And so I think that honestly, just sitting down and writing a list of things that you did well that day, and if they include. keeping your kids alive and everybody got dressed from the head you know from the (laughs) waist up that's a win right and and I think that really making sure that we don't set the bar so high for ourselves that kids think they can't ever meet the bar either well let's talk about that
0: and setting the bar so high and 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 through this holiday season I mean this holiday season does not look the same I mean. We were trying to do a family photo for a a Christmas card last night. I got the boys, you know, they got their collared shirts on, but had shorts on still. And we ended up, they ended up playing chess because we couldn't figure out how to get that picture that we all wanted because we can't bring the photographer in this year. So this year looks a lot different. How can families just be okay with, it's okay that it's going to look different. It doesn't have
1: to be perfect. It's, for you know, again, Donna. At first of all, I'm just kind of smirking a little bit, picturing that that fam- that family picture just to myself <laughs> here a little bit, and the and the chaos that ensues, right? And I think. You know, the very first thing I tell parents is like, it's a pink elephant, name the pink elephant. Don't try to make it seem like this holiday season is going to be exactly the same as it has been in the past. And honestly, just kind of breaking that barrier in and of itself by naming it, bringing it up, talking about it with your kids and talking about it with extended family. Even, you know, writing that out. Here's some things that are gonna be the same that we're gonna be able to maintain. And here are some new things that, um, you know, might not become new traditions, but are things that we're Going to do this year and, and and we're going to manage and these are going to be the the ways that we do those things i think it's also important to really make sure that when we're thinking about quote unquote what perfect might be maybe setting some goals for the holiday with your family is a good way of kind of determining whether or not it, the holiday was a success because if oh. you're constantly trying to decide whether or not the holiday was a success based on previous years you're probably going to be disappointed over and over again right instead it maybe makes sense to kind of think about like all right we're not able to do the things that we always get to do on the holidays but maybe we're going to plant an herb garden you know that's something we're going to work on together as a family and if we you know get some you know a little bit of a spark by the end of the You know by the end of the holiday season then we're gonna consider that a win or we're all gonna learn how to uh, you know say a few phrases in Spanish or right like there could be some family goals that like I said are a little bit less traditional uh, but ways of really feeling like you still got a lot out of the time together even if it's different.
0: Right and when you talk about traditional I mean
1: why not start new traditions right? Absolutely. Absolutely done. I think this is a great opportunity. And these are things that can be in and of themselves an activity with your family, right? Like sitting down and having a family discussion or a family meeting about what are some new traditions that we want to try and, you know, how will we know if we want to incorporate them into future years, you know? And I think that just, again, bringing your kids in on this type of discussion is a way of kind of drawing that pink elephant out, right? And just saying, hey, we know it's different and that's okay. Different can, be fun too. Talk a little bit about the difference between, you know, our younger kids and our,
0: our teens and what you're seeing, you know, who is really suffering more or are they suffering the same, just different things? Cause you hear a lot about teens, but what about our younger kids? I mean, our, our K through twos who, you know, they can't learn on zoom. I mean, it's, it's so difficult.
1: So talk a little bit about that. Yeah, you know, Donna, I think that younger kids are really a unique population and that they are suffering as well, and we also know that they are a resilient crew, and they're flexible, and so I think that we, you know, kind of as therapists, and when I'm talking with parents of young kids, I'm trying to keep the, the narrative very hopeful, and that kids are adaptive, and they actually are much more resilient than adults often are, and they're going to learn to navigate this new normal, quote-unquote, actually a little bit easier and a little bit better than we might. I think that with young kids, because they can't really verbalize some of the stress they're experiencing, it's really important for us to consider the most important three factors which are sleep, appetite, and activity. So even though your young kid can't say to you, um, you know, might not be able to have the words or the language to say, I'm really stressed, I really miss seeing friends, or I just miss going outside and having fresh air in the ways that we used to, if they're showing you those signs through other things like a lack of appetite or disruptions in their sleep, or it seems like they're not as active or enjoying the things that they once enjoyed, those are signals and signs that we can kind of look out for. And it turns out that those are signals and signs that we can look for in our teens as well, appetite, sleep, and activity play a big role in mood and depression and anxiety. And so they're really a, a great indicator of, of kind of how fun- folks are functioning. I think that we know that teenagers are a lot more linked To their social world and as they become more independent and their desire to become more independent increases their inability to join and hang with their friends you know it really does feel like a physical assault almost each and every day so that's why we're really monitoring and supervising those teens and adolescents so closely because we know that just a huge part of their developmental trajectory is being thwarted right now and we have to kind of do our best to help them adapt and work through this time
0: Um, okay. So then let's talk, let's take it a little bit further, um, with teens and, and how they're feeling and and depressed. And, you know, what if you've got a teen who says death is easier, but that kid, that kid hasn't said that before, or is this just kind of talk and not real? Like, you know, how does a parent identify that?
1: Well, you know, I think, Donna, that that's, uh, that's something that we actually don't want parents doing on their own, you know, to be completely honest, right? That is something where we really do want, you know, if your child is expressing hopelessness or um, really a desire to not kind of move forward or they're talking about harming themselves or something like that, that really is a sign right away that it should you should be looking for some help and you should be kind of investigating. And that doesn't mean you got to sound the alarms and call 911, but what it does mean is that it's something that you need to kind of take you know much more credence to and look at. Certainly kids and teenagers act out and they say things that they don't mean sometimes. Those things are often a signal of some other, you know, problems that they're that are that they're struggling with, and so while the extreme nature of what they're saying might not actually be their intent, and of course we need to check on that and make sure that they're safe, and make sure that um, if you don't feel like they're safe, that you get them to a situation in which they're, you know, have those resources and supports. Um, but really, what we want to kind of do is is take those things very seriously and make sure that kids know and adolescents know that we're taking those bids for attention very seriously, and and while And and while we all do feel hopeless from time to time, that there is a lot to to live for and and a lot of reason to be hopeful and reminding your kids about those things on a daily basis can come in the form of that win list we talked about or the roses that, that you're going over and meals and things. But, you know, really making sure that you're keeping an eye on kids whenever they're expressing that type of thing is really important.
0: And do you see this um, more now with COVID? Or is it the same? I know that this um, anxiety and depression has been rising in our youth. I mean, the research is indicating that. Do we know it? Is this happening now more with COVID? Or are we still on
1: that same trajectory? Yeah, you know, John, I think the verdict is still out as we kind of continue to furiously collect this data. But I would say that anecdotally speaking, we've absolutely seen an increase in mood and anxiety issues amongst teens and actually amongst parents. And we are starting to see that in younger kids as well. So it's hard to say if this trend would have continued no matter what. It does feel like it's increasing exponentially based on the isolation and also the lack of predictability. As I said, I think that there's been a lot of not just Um, you know, unrest, uh, there's been a lot of things in the context of our world that have created unrest for people in ways that I think certainly impacts their day-to-day mental health. And what we know is that parents' mental health certainly trickles into kids' mental health as well. And so as silly as it sounds, I talk with parents all the time about the fact that you are the captain of your ship. And if your ship is going down, the whole ship is going down, right? So as much as it it feels hard for parents, I think, to to prioritize self-care and their own mental right now, um, that's one of the most important things they can do. And again, is a really important way of modeling for their kids. Hey, if I need help, I'm going to get it.
0: Yeah, that's really powerful. I, um, I This is such great information. Is there anything that you would want to leave parents with um, to share with their children or something that you would want to share with parents that might be meaningful to them as they cope and deal with this holiday season?
1: You know, John, I think that one thing that I've been trying to do with families a little bit and just talk a little bit about, and it really depends on where they're at and how they're feeling is, you know, just kind of this theme of kindness and gratefulness, right? And I do think that, um, you know, I talk with parents a lot about the fact that um, while we're concerned about what kids are going to learn academically during this time and all of that, I, I say to parents, kids are going to learn what they learn is really up to you and so what they learn is going to be a lot of what you model and, and what you, how you behave in these uncertain times and so I just kind of have been saying to the parents a lot you know manage as much as you can with kindness when you're struggling with the teacher you're struggling with homeschooling you know if you can approach it with kindness then that's what your child sees you doing then what they're going to learn is that when things are hard if I approach it with kindness then I can get, it yields better results for me, right? And even if it doesn't yield great results, it still makes me feel better to do my best and be the best person I can be. And so I think that really just trying to make sure that even when things are stressful, that we're still maintaining that and we're taking a couple deep breaths, that we're breathing, we're taking our cookie breaths, right? In through the nose, <laughs> smelling those cookies and then out through the mouth blown on those cookies. And I think, you know, being kind and being grateful for what we have and, Continuing to make sure we emphasize those themes, even when we're not feeling super grateful, um, you know, is again a really powerful message for our kids.
0: I love that. I, and I love how you wrap this up because I do think showing kindness and gratitude definitely helps. And we know it from research, right? We know that. Got this is it. So thank you so much, Dr. Lee, for this educational conversation. Where
1: can people find you and the Child Mind Institute? Absolutely. So thank you so much for asking Donna. We have a plethora of resources at childmind.org and I would also look have people look at childmind.org telehealth because we continue to provide you know just resources on a daily basis that are related to the topics that you're talking about today. So we have parent-facing articles, we even have teen-facing articles, so please, please, please childmind.org. We have just everything you could be looking for and if you don't, write us a note and we will create that resource.
0: Thank you so much, Dr. Lee. It was such a pleasure talking to you. And you can find me at Donna Tatro on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And don't forget to download and subscribe. Thanks for listening to Kids Under Construction.